Well, everybody here at Lombardi's Bar, uh, we had our first guest last week. It was Jacob Westendorf, but I think someone equally, you could maybe argue a bigger name than than Jacob Westendorf is, uh, is, is this guy here. You've seen him. You've seen him play in the NFL. He's a 10-time Pro Bowler, nine-time All-Pro, 2010 All-Decade team. He's in the Browns' of honor, and soon this guy's going to be wearing a gold jacket from Canton, Ohio. That's the one and only Joe Thomas. Joe. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here at Lombardi's Bar today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, I appreciate you throwing up my Twitter handle on there. Uh, <laughs> your technology is uh, only surpassed by your beauty. That's the top of my resume now. <laughs> we were going to ask for compliments and, and endorsements at yeah. the end of it, but I guess we can start out. He just one. nailed it, man. That's why he's a pro. <laughs> Uh, well, Joe, we we want to we want to uh, grab you here for a little bit to talk football and everything else. But um, before we get into that, the first thing that I thought of when I heard that we were going to have you on to talk is, uh, and I know Jimmy is the same way. We yeah. wanted to at least talk a second about the Titan Games because sure. <laughs> love that show. It, it's yeah. so much fun to watch, and like you, arguably, you were the probably the best Titan that. Dwayne Johnson picked, like did the best out of all of them. You you'd yeah. had an amazing run. Just tell us a little bit about the experience. What's it like going there for taping? Like how, how long are you there in between takes? And, and then like you, you only did the mountain. So like, what was like, were you hoping to do any of the other stuff or are you glad that you only had to tackle the mountain? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to check off all those things on the list of questions you answered. I'm just, I know I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get I'm trying to get twenty Titan Games questions into, yeah, yeah. into one. <laughs> Three minutes. Uh, it was super intense. Uh, it was really incredible being able to meet Dwayne Johnson. Obviously, he's the biggest Hollywood star in the world right now. I mean, he's putting out hit after hit. Everybody loves him. My mom loves him. My grandma loves him. My kids love him. And Moana. Like he is the man. And when you get to meet him in person, he lives up to the billing. He is just larger than life. And he was a lot of fun to work with. He was really, really good to all of us. Like he has no reason to stick around and shoot the breeze with all of us competitors, but he did. And it was really cool to see that and trying to make those connections with us uh, as competitors. But um, it was hard. I mean, when they tried to pretend like this was professional athletes versus regular Joe's, I don't think that really was fully uh, actually telling what the true details of the Titan games were, because we were basically competing in CrossFit type uh, obstacle course games. And we were competing against mostly professional CrossFitters. And we as professional athletes or former professional athletes we're professional athletes because we're good at one very unique and specific sport. Like if you're a boxer, you're really good at punching. I'm an offensive lineman. I'm good at blocking. Like, Doing CrossFit obstacle courses is not in our wheelhouse at all. And so I was happy that I just put forth good effort and, you know, won a few, ended up losing before the finals. But all those other pros were a joke. They got smoked. <laughs> they got blown out of the water right from the beginning. And it was funny, like, uh, because we would film two or three shows a day. That's part of why it was so intense. It's because I was there for a week and we filmed like four shows and – I think the whole thing got filmed in like three weeks and then they split it up and, you know, cut it up how they want. Um, but after all the pros went the very first time around, I was the only one that won out of eight of us. And I remember looking over at Dwayne Johnson as the pros are getting smashed too. Like 
it wasn't close. Right. There was no photo finishes among the bros except for me. <laughs> and I remember looking over at Dwayne and I could see it on his face. He was like, we spent all this money bringing all these chumps here and we're not even going to have a show <laughs> because all you guys are going to lose before it even gets started. Uh, so I felt like I, I really had uh, a big responsibility for the professional athletes to be able to stand up and at least win a few so that yeah. DJ doesn't lose all his investment <laughs> trying to get us out there. So, uh, but in the end it was a, it was a really good experience for me. It's opened up a lot of doors moving forward and it was really fun now that it's all over because yeah. <laughs> when we were doing it, it was brutal. And my body felt like week 14 of training camp. It was terrible. All right. You, uh, you and Dwayne Johnson one-on-one -on -one right now, you shutting them down. No doubt. Uh, <laughs> Dwayne, he could still probably body slam me, but, uh, he never was better than me on the football field. Even when he was in his prime. <laughs> I don't know. He looked, I don't, He's I don't think he had the look. Tested, so. He's going to win any arm wrestling contest, any bicep curl contest, because <laughs> his arms are bigger than my thighs. But when it comes to like a very specific skill, like football, yeah. I, think I, I think I still got him. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so well, speaking of football, obviously this is uh, going to be a little bit weird season here um, with with COVID and, and everything else going on. What's the, the weirdest season you ever had kind of going into it? Was it replacement refs or a lockout or just maybe a, a teammate that, you know, you had a, a few characters come through Cleveland yeah. while you were there? So there's really only two seasons that even scratched the surface of the craziness that we're about to embark on because, as you know, professional football is a well-oiled machine. They've been going for 100 years, uh, and they know how – every little detail works. The coaches have been doing it forever. So there's very few stones that are left unturned before you go into a season. So, I mean, your schedule is down to the minute from the moment you walk into training camp through potentially going to the Super Bowl. And so to have to kind of play adapt and improvise a and I right now through the beginning part and probably most of this season is really going to be unique for those players. For me, replacement refs was a little bit interesting, but we only had replacement refs for a short stint and then from what i remember the regular refs came back and actually i was part of the first game where the regular refs were back we played thursday night in baltimore and i remember gene steratore was the official and he's one of the great nfl officials and i remember the players were going up and like hugging him before the game started <laughs> because they were so happy to see the regular refs come back because as everybody remembers the replacement refs didn't do quite as good of a job as the regular ones did um but the lockout year was interesting because um, we lost the off season. So most guys went back home and worked out. I went to Madison and trained, uh, at the university of Wisconsin. Um, but once you voted for the collective bargaining agreement, we started training camp on time and then everything was kind of normal from that point on. Uh, but this is just going to be totally bananas. I mean, I got, I just got off a conference call with Brown's ownership because I was supposed to be a color analyst for all of their preseason games. And obviously preseason for the NFL just got canceled so now i'm going to be potentially doing color commentary on walkthrough practices and uh inter-squad scrimmages in <laughs> august in the beginning of september if those even happen like that's the <laughs> crazy thing in all of this is we hope that things look like football and there's going to be a season but all you got to do is look at what's already happening in baseball like the Marlins had a bunch of guys test positive and now they're trying to figure out, do you just replace those guys and have business as usual? But imagine if 
going into the season, God forbid, not the Browns or the Packers. We'll say, let's say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady and yeah. his starting <laughs> offensive line all get COVID. Do you just not play him for like two or three weeks? Or do you just not have that team play until their regular starters are back? So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting for sure. And, and I can't imagine ever having an NFL season that looks anything like this. Do you think to have a season right now that MLB, like you already mentioned, the MLB is kind of showing it might not be possible unless you have bubble cities. Do you think it is like, do you think they'll be able to run it without somehow converting to bubble cities? So baseball is different because it's a lot easier to trade a player or put a player in there in that position, you know, okay, I'm batting third. Like that looks the same, whether I'm in Atlanta or I'm in in Philly, right? Like batting third, uh, like the coach may have a slightly different strategy. Okay. Bunt or, Hit it. I don't know. I'm not a baseball guy, but it's fairly (laughs) easy to just kind of plug and play a baseball guy. But in football, you kind of rely on each other so much more and you have to know the offense to be able to go out there. And so it's not going to be quite as easy in football, like when guys are testing positive and have to sit out to just replace them. And so I think that's going to be the big question is what do you do? Like, okay, the bottom of your roster or a backup tight end or even a starter, like a guard on the offensive line who maybe is not your best player on the offensive line, like you can replace him fairly easily. But if you've got like the five offensive linemen, they're touching and spitting and snotting on each other on every play. Like there's a good chance if one of those tests positive, they'll all test positive. So are you willing to go into a game? Like let's say Friday shows up and all of a sudden you're starting offensive line test positive. Are you willing to go into the game and just swap out an entire offensive line the day before a game and still put your, $500 million quarterback back there from the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah. if I'm Andy Reid, I'm not feeling really good about that situation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I sit the quarterback out until my offensive line is back. So it's a lot of questions out there still. A lot of, a lot of interest, but that's could be what makes the season so interesting and the fans so intrigued by every little detail because we're used to the regular drama from a football season, but the drama for a COVID season is going to be times 10. I'm not lifting up my arms at all during this anymore, seeing as you your biceps twice in a row now. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I'm like, the rock, I'm like here, the rock is like up here. He doubles me. So, so Joe, as we kind of are starting what I guess we could call training camp, like people are reporting and we're not sure what it's going to look like or how it's going to play out. But uh, as we get into this training camp mode, uh, for you and your, your career, what was uh, – do you have a favorite like training camp memory a favorite moment or a favorite part of of training camp that always kind of stuck with you my first training camp was probably the most memorable one and i think most rookies would say that because you come in you know they tell you to keep your eyes open and your mouth shut rookies should be seen and not heard and you're trying to just soak in all that information from all the vets that have been around a long time and you're going from in college when you're the old man who's been around four or five years, which seems like an eternity to now in the NFL, you're playing with guys that could be around for 15, 16 plus NFL seasons. I remember my rookie season um, walking into the locker room and we had a guy named Ted Washington, who you may or may not recognize. He played 20 NFL seasons, I think. And my rookie season was his 20th. I think he was like 40 or 41. He was a defensive tackle great big fat guy he was well over 400 pounds and i remember as a rookie i reached my hand out when i walked into the locker room 
Hey, Ted, my name's Joe Thomas. Uh, the Browns just drafted me. Um, nice to meet you. And he looks at me, he's like, rookies? Rookies can't touch me? Get the fuck out of my face. And he just kept walking. And I was like, uh, sorry, sir. <laughs> and I looked it up and I was like, Ted Washington, boy, that guy's a real dick. And I looked back and the guy started in the NFL. His rookie season was when I was three years old. I was 21 at the time or 22. And my man had started in the NFL when I was three years old. And so I was like, wow, this really is a different ball game. This is men and boys, and we're all playing on the same team. So um, it's definitely an interesting moment for a rookie to stand in the locker room where there is such a great disparity in talent, ability, age, experience, and you're just trying to soak all that in. And every every minute feels like it's an hour because there's just so many new things happening around you. This is kind of uh, – I didn't have this one planned, but just thinking of, like, rookies coming in and playing. So, for the Packers, we had a new left or left guard last year with Elton Jenkins coming in and not giving up a single sack the entire season. As a fan, that's super impressive to me. Like, is that is that common around, like, offensive linemen, I guess? I'm not really sure. I just – I he's like my new Lord and Savior, so that's what I was yeah. wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I will say it's very uncommon. Um, sacks are a weird thing because if you're blocking in a system like Matt LaFleur's system where it's a lot of wide zone, it's a lot of play action, you don't have as much pressure of giving up a sack as you would if you were in a regular drop back system where the quarterback's going to get the ball, he's going to stand back in one spot, and he's going to kind of throw the ball over the field. Like your typical pro-style offense used to be maybe five or ten years ago. Um, so while it is impressive – it's not as unheard of in the type of system that Matt LaFleur plays in. If you told me that, um, let's say, five years ago, um, I'm trying to think what would be a really – oh, like, well, Bruce Arians' system. That's a lot of stand back there and throw the football like with Jameis Winston last year. If you told me one of those guys gave up zero sacks, I would be really impressed because it's really hard as an offensive lineman to block somebody one-on-one -on -one for a quarterback that drops back and throws the ball from the pocket a lot. When you've got a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's very mobile, he can get out of sacks. They run a lot of play action, a lot of bootleg. There's not as much one-on-one -on -one drop back pass. And so you're not exposed as often but still you don't want to take anything away from the guy he's yeah. had a great season but he's also playing next to in my opinion the best pass blocking left tackle in the nfl right now and david bakhtiari so that helps also yeah. when you put uh, there's a lot of synergy on the offensive line and uh playing next to good players it raises the level of yourself just like playing next to doggy doo-doo you're gonna look a little bit more like doo-doo as well yeah so so is david bakhtiari being ranked yesterday the 62nd best player on the top 100 is that too low then because me as a packer fan i was like he he should be way higher than uh 62nd yeah. I, I agree you know it, the nfl top 100 it's it's a popularity contest among offensive or excuse me among nfl players because the way the voting goes is somebody from the nfl network shows up in your cafeteria and gives you a piece of paper and says write the 25 best nfl players down on the list and so of course you're going to get a lot of quarterbacks and it's it becomes a name recognition thing, but in the end, it's hard to compare apples and oranges. How do you compare David Bakhtiari to Tom Brady or to Von Miller? Like, yeah, those are not people that are playing the same position. So you're trying to, even if you were doing this in some type of fair, even-handed 
evaluation method. How do you determine the pass blocking that David Bakhtiari does versus the throwing that Tom Brady does? They're different skill sets. You're asking him to do different things. But I would still say that uh, I would like to see David a lot higher because, in my opinion, he's a top five offensive lineman in the NFL, and he's the best pass blocker. So clearly, if you value left tackle, you've got to say that he's probably at least a top 25 guy in the NFL. So, Joe, kind of looking at uh, your career a little bit, I think the thing that always stuck out with me was your snap streak record. Um, let me just confirm. 10,363 consecutive snaps in a row. Were you, as a player, were you kind of aware at all of the the snap streak record? Like, I'm sure you kind of, like, have in the back of your head, like, I, you know, I haven't missed any games but like the snap record, is that in your head at all? And was there ever a point that you kind of like were like it, it came into your mind that maybe this needs to end or like th- I was the closest to ending my streak at this point? Uh, I didn't think about my snap streak until about year six or seven. I knew that I hadn't missed a play because I knew I never got injured. I never had to come out. I never had a shoelace break. Like I, I knew that. And actually, when I think back to my football career, I only had to come off the field one, two times in my entire career going back to seventh grade. Uh, And that includes like shoe falling off, going to the bathroom, like kissing my girlfriend at prom night, you know, like all those things that could have happened. Like I never missed, except for when I tore my ACL in college, my senior, uh, my junior year playing defense came out. And then um, I came out in my last season when I tore my tricep tendon. And so I I was conscious of it, but I didn't know it really was a thing until people started asking me about it around like year six or seven. Um, And then our PR department kind of started tracking it and started doing the research about, hey, did anybody else ever have a big streak like this? And found out that, no, they didn't. Uh, And so the closest I ever came to missing a game or missing a snap was, I think it was probably like year six or seven. This was before I really had thought about the streak very much, but I tore my lateral collateral ligament in my left knee. Coincidentally, we were playing at the Steelers. It was week 17 and I was stretching and I just used a little too much muscle on my stretch and I tore my LCL of which the the doctor told me it's impossible. You can't do that. You have to put like 2000 pounds of force through that ligament and tear it. And I'm like, no, it really feels like it's torn. He's like, you can't do that stretching. You have to have like an army of bodies fall on it. Well, thankfully after the game, we MRI'd it and he told me, yeah, you did tear your LCL. And if I would have known that in the game, I wouldn't have let you go back in there. But because <laughs> you told me it was a stretching injury, I thought you were fine. Uh, so I ended up having to rehab that for like three and a half weeks. And I was lucky because it was about a three or four week injury, no surgery required. And then I was able to get back on the field and play in the Pro Bowl that season. Uh, I was a little bit hobbled up and I wore a knee brace, but I was okay. And by the next season, I was fine. Um, but the most nervous I ever got was as I was getting close to 10,000, cause that was kind of the big milestone in my 11th season. I remember thinking like, Holy crap. It, and I used to have these dreams going into the, like my, my game where I had that 10,000 snap was like, what happens if my shoe does fall off or like something weird happens where the ref is going to make me come out of the game. Cause I got blood on me or, you know, something just goofy. 
And I, I kept thinking to myself, like, would I take a timeout and like waste one of my team's timeouts so that I didn't miss my snap streak so I could still try to get to 10,000? Um, and then I would have kind of like that dream people would have about, you know, waking up and being late for a test. Like a lot of times I had that dream once I was done with college. Like I had that dream that I woke up and I missed the bus going to the stadium and I like missed the beginning of the game. And so I missed my snap streak. So. Um, but once I got the streak, then I really didn't think about it. But then at that point, it was like, how does this end? That was something that kept going through my head. Like, all right, every time I go out there and get another snap, I know I'm lengthening my record. Kind of like Cal Ripken after he set the record in baseball, he ended up just taking a day off because he felt that emotionally, like thinking about it all the time was distracting him from playing baseball. And it was almost the same thing with me in football. Like just having that over my head and thinking about it was almost a relief when I did finally tear my tricep and didn't have to think about it anymore. Nice. Who do you hate most the out of the division? Ravens, Steelers, or, or uh, Bengals? So I would say uh, the Ravens because we always had a lot more um, dirty play between the two of us. We actually had a lot of Ravens players that came to the Browns, like Jamal Lewis when I was a younger player. Um was one guy and we had a number of other guys that I, I'm just escaping my mind right now thinking of the name, but there was a lot more bad blood. I feel like between us two, whereas versus the Steelers, it was always the same group of guys and we always played hard and it was always physical, but there was a lot more mutual respect. I feel like between the two teams. And so I think that the hate a lot of times comes out in football when there's like dirty player, you feel like disrespect uh, and certainly that was the case when the Browns were playing the Ravens. Who did you love to play? Like who was your, your favorite team or favorite person to go up against? Um, I loved going against uh, Dwight Freeney because I loved going against guys that I could do a good job blocking. However, I knew the challenge was going to be really great. So I was going to have to be at my absolute best, but I knew if I was at my best, I would have a good game and it would get recognized. And uh, because not many people would be able to handle Dwight Freeney, but if you go out and you have a good game against him, like you actually get recognized on the offensive line, which is something that almost never happens unless you do something bad. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, so you guys, obviously, everybody kind of knows the Browns have had a long string of, of starting quarterbacks coming through there. How does your play differ from quarterback to quarterback? Is that, you know, we kind of touched on the system earlier. You know, there's there's a certain style that the system goes through. But how does that change your, your uh, game prep? It's going to change a lot from a standpoint of when Derek Anderson was my quarterback, my rookie season, he was not a mobile guy. So I knew he was going to be standing exactly eight yards behind the center and he was probably going to throw the ball on time. And for the most part, I knew exactly where I needed to keep my guy away from. Whereas if I, I played for Johnny Manziel, if he was back there, who knows where he was going to be? Like <laughs> the play was structured for him to be here, but he was liable to go and even if the play wasn't breaking down, break the pocket, try to get outside, escape, throw the football down the field. And so you've got to know that like, if my guy turns and runs, I got to go run with him because I can't see where the ball is. And I've got to block basically until my guy 
just starts running down the field. And I'm assuming that he's running towards the football or the ball is completed and I got to just jog with him. Um, you always would say that when you're blocking for a guy like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, follow your man and try to end the play between your man and where the ball is or where you think the ball is and block through the breath of the whistle. That's the best you can do. And if he turns up in a spot where he's not supposed to, that's kind of on him. Well, Joe, I know, I know you got to get out of here. So we'll get you out on, on one final thing here is as we move into such a unique season for the NFL and and the preseason, what's a message that you would give to rookies coming into, into this year? Um, I would say that if you're a rookie, you're going to need to spend twice as much time in the film room um, as twice as much time. If you possibly can meeting with your coach, studying your playbook, because they're so far behind the eight ball right now, already missing the whole off season, missing training camp, which is the, the time where you really get your, your most growth and your most learning in, they're not getting any preseason. Um, and so their, their learning curve, which is already steep is going to be even steeper. And I don't know if you can make that up, but the best way that you can try to make it up is just spending all that more, much more time in the, in the uh, meeting room, uh, watching film, watching your playbook uh, on your iPad, do anything you can to try to catch up. Awesome. He's Joe Thomas, the one of the best to ever do it. Uh, Joe, is there anything that you want to plug uh, while you're here with us where people can, can find you on social media, or I know you've got the, the podcast with Andrew Hawkins as well. Uh, Anything that you want to talk about? Yeah, you can catch me on the Tomahawk show anywhere uh, you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a new season here coming up when the football season starts. Catch me on NFL network. If we have Thursday night football this year, which is where I usually post myself up. Um, And you can catch me on Twitter at Joe Thomas 73. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking football very shortly. Awesome. Joe Thomas can't speak enough for, for how, uh, how much we enjoyed this. And I I can think it's safe to say that you always have a spot here at Lombardi's bar. Thank you very much. I appreciate it guys. Uh, (laughs) Fill me up with a couple bush lights at Lombardi's bar. Maybe it's a Miller light being a Wisconsin bar. (laughs) Thanks Joe. Thanks guys.